One of the other things this Be Thou My Vision book has um, is prayers for illumination for when you're um, about to read from God's Word. So I might read one of those as well. O Heavenly Father, whose law is perfect, converting the soul, a sure testimony, giving wisdom to the unlearned and enlightening the eyes, we humbly implore you through your boundless goodness to enlighten our blind intellect by your Holy Spirit so that we may truly understand and profess your law and live according to it. Since it has pleased you, most merciful Father, to reveal the mysteries of your will only to the little ones, and since you look to him alone who is of a humble and contrite spirit, who has reverence for your word, grant us a humble spirit and keep us from all fleshly wisdom which is enmity against you. Bring to the right way those who stray from the truth so that we all may unanimously serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. We ask this from you, most merciful Father, in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you're supposed to be happy but your heart's not really in it? Uh, maybe you've planned a party, um, but when the day rolls around, you have a really bad day and uh, you s- the last thing you want to do is celebrate with your friends. Or perhaps you've been invited to a wedding, um, but perhaps someone close to you has died and you're feeling you- you're supposed to be happier for this married couple, but uh, really your heart is very heavy. Uh, Maybe you're at a friend's housewarming and you should be happy for them but you're six months behind on your own mortgage and the banks are breathing down your neck. Uh, Or the high school reunion uh, where you feel like everyone has made more of their lives or been more successful since high school than you have. Uh, Or maybe you've just heard these words from God, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Maybe you've just heard or read those words from Isaiah 49, 13, but what you feel like is what Zion says in the next verse. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever felt like that, where God says, rejoice, Uh, I'm comforting my people, I'm having compassion on those who are afflicted, and you say, really? Have you seen my life? I'm a long way from home, I'm all alone, my family and friends are dead, I can't do anything to help them. It's it's great to hear that you're going to have compassion on your people, God. It's great to hear that you're comforting people, but you've obviously forgotten about me, right? I'm not feeling comforted. I don't don't feel like rejoicing. I don't see any of this compassion that seems to be going around. Hello, I'm over here. I think you might have forgotten about me, God. I'd like a bit of that compassion, please, that you're promising. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like that? Um, Well, perhaps most of us wouldn't necessarily say that out loud, but we think it, don't we? We think along those lines sometimes. If you ever hear the promises of God and you feel along those lines, then this passage from Isaiah 49 and 50 is for you. 
Um, as I said, that's how Israel felt in their exile. Uh, they were like, you know, God's telling us he's got all these good plans for us, which we've been reading about throughout Isaiah 40 uh, to 48 and 49. Uh, but it doesn't really look like there actually is any goodness that God has towards us. There's no comfort, there's no compassion, they're in exile, they were oppressed, they were scorned, they were homeless, they were helpless. And this passage that we have before us today is God's reply to that feeling. He says, I really do know what you're feeling. Listen to me and I'll tell you how we actually get from this that you're seeing before you to a future glory, these things that I'm promising you. So let's read uh, the first few verses, Isaiah 49, 14 to 16. But Zion said, uh, note that this passage is a conversation pictured between uh, Yahweh and Zion, Zion being Jerusalem, the city of God, um, the capital of Israel. It's uh, God's, the dwelling place of God on earth in his temple. Um, it, the picture there of uh, God's city, um, and he's talking with this city. Uh, the daughters of, or the, the children of Jerusalem there are the people who call Israel home then. Um, so Zion said, uh, verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me, my Lord has forgotten me. And then God's reply in verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the fruit of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So the picture here of Zion, or in reality, I suppose, the Israelites are claiming that God has forgotten them. God had let them fall into the hands of their enemies. Uh, He had let them be carried off into exile. Uh, He had let Jerusalem be broken down, burned. There was nothing left but rubble. And the Israelites' interpretation of these events is that God had stopped caring. But God said, no, I haven't stopped caring. I haven't forgotten about you. I will never forsake you. I will never forget you. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the fruit of her, on the son of her womb? Uh, Ladies, those of you who are mothers, do you think you're ever going to forget your children? No, of course not. Uh, Do any of us think that if we go to our mothers, they'll wonder who we are? Uh, For most of us, no. Uh, But even then, some of us do have mothers that forget. Uh, Some some have mothers that get dementia or or other brain injuries um, to the degree where they don't recognise their family. Uh, Then there are other mothers who put their children up for adoption and have no idea what they grow up into. Or other mothers, sadly, are just plain neglectful. But God is not like that. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, God says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Uh, I've known plenty of people that write things on their hands. Uh, maybe you're one of those people. 
Um, if you need to remember something, maybe you need to take the bins out or you need to call someone later on or, or whatever it is you need to do, you should just write it on your hand so you don't forget. Um, and, of course, that's a great way to remember something, isn't it? If you only need to remember it for a few hours. It'll wash off eventually, obviously. So, um, But it's a great way of remembering things. I suppose if you really wanted to remember something forever, you might write something on the back of your hand uh, with tattoo ink. You know, that would never forget that. But imagine, imagine the blood and the pain and the trauma, the physical, the, per, the it, mental scarring of taking a knife and gouging something into the flesh of your hands. You'd more than just remember something. You'd look at it every time for the rest of your life and you'd feel it. You would have a visceral memory of the pain that you went through to remember this thing for the rest of your life. God said to Zion, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Uh, The image here of God taking a knife, as it were, and cutting into his hands a map of Jerusalem. He knows, he remembers, he feels the pain that these exiles feel every time they think uh, of their beloved city in ruins far away. And God remembers you and I. Now, I don't think this is intended necessarily as a direct prophecy of Jesus having physical scars from the nails in his hands. Obviously, no one in Isaiah's day would have, Im- would have understood that to be a prophecy. But the New Testament does make it clear that the reason God won't forget about us is because Jesus died. Romans 8, Jesus, Christ Jesus is the one who died More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, And we read in, in Revelation 21 as well how our names are written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Uh, Note then in Isaiah 49 how intimately God is acquainted with what's going on for Jerusalem. Um, This passage focuses on the future glory that God has in store, but he recognises their present situation. Uh, Verse 17, he acknowledged that Jerusalem was destroyed and laid waste. Uh, Verse 18, he talks about your waste and desolate places and your devastated land. Verse 20, your bereavement. Verse 21, you were... uh, putting these words in in Jerusalem's mouth, as it were, bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, I am left alone. Uh, Verses 24 and 25 talks about them being prey and captives of the mighty. Uh, Verses 25 and 26, the oppressors of Jerusalem contend with you. Uh, I I noted this morning, uh, I opened by saying how Uh, Sometimes we feel like God's promises don't take into account what our present situations are. But that's not the case. Um, I, for one, constantly need to be reminded of this. So often I think that God, you know, deals with those big issues and stuff in in your life. You know, the the ultimate issues of sin uh, and death and those 
big picture type things. But I just wish he would actually, you know, care about some of these day-to-day problems that I face. But here's the thing. He does care. He does care. These problems that we think of, that, uh, that loom large in our minds, God cares about them just as he did those problems that the Israelites were facing. Um, And the problems that the Israelites were facing, of course, he had a plan to deal with those. God will bring us from affliction to glory. Uh, That brings us to the real focus of this passage, you know, the, the glory that awaits Jerusalem or that God is promising Jerusalem. Uh, into that situation of, of destruction and exile, God gives these great and grand promises. Uh, verses 17 and 18, God promised that the city uh, uh, would be restored. Uh, it's rubble now, but it will be glorious, like a bride adorned with beautiful jewellery uh, for her husband on her wedding day. The destroyers will go out, the builders will come in and the city will be restored, made glorious once again. Uh, Verses 19 to 21, secondly, uh, God promised a huge influx of people coming to live in Jerusalem. Uh, It's waste and desolate and devastated now, God says, but there will be so many people of God coming to live in that city that there won't even be enough space. The children of your bereavement, God says, will yet say in your ears, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Uh, Thirdly, verses 22 and 23, God promised that the nations would honour them. Israel hadn't been a powerful or respected nation for really centuries uh, when Isaiah wrote, and they uh, would never really be again. Uh, They were captives of a far-off power. But God says the nations will be your servants, carrying your children on their shoulders, bowing down, licking the dust off their feet. And finally, verses 24 to 26, God promised that Zion's enemies would be crushed, that Zion would be victorious over those who had oppressed her. Uh, Verse 24, uh, 25, sorry. The captives of the mighty will be taken and the prey of the tyrants will be rescued. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. What a great reversal of fortunes from affliction to glory. Now at this point... I'd love to tell you the story of how Jerusalem came back and they were rebuilt and this glorious and wonderful uh, fulfilment of all that God's promised here. But that's not what happened. Uh, You can read about their return in Ezra and Nehemiah if you want to. Um, But as a summary, the exile ended. uh, uh, Cyrus allowed the people to return, um, as uh, we've read he would that, that he would in Isaiah so far. Uh, He commanded that Jerusalem and the temple would be rebuilt, uh, except that only a handful of people returned. Uh, The city actually continued to sit in ruins for about a generation after the first exiles returned. Uh, And even after it was rebuilt for most of history, ever since, Jerusalem has been controlled by foreign governments. Um, Only four or five generations in the 3,000 years since then, since Isaiah wrote, 
uh, it's actually been independent and has been far from honoured. But this gives us a... What we need to do is look to the New Testament because the New Testament tells us that these promises were fulfilled. They are being fulfilled. They will be fulfilled. But in a very different way to what I just described. The New Testament teaches us that the promises of going from affliction to glory will be fulfilled in the eternal state of God's people. And the New Testament teaches us that that fulfilment, that eternal fulfilment, will include you and I who believe in Jesus. Uh, Now, I'm going to rattle off a few verses, um, but I want you to go and confirm uh, for yourself that these promises of Isaiah 49 are yours and mine in Christ. Um, So by all means, ask me for these references afterwards or or listen back to the recording. Look them up in your own time and look and see for yourself. Believe what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, Here we go. Matthew uh, Matthew 12, sorry. Uh, Jesus picks up the language from uh, Isaiah 49.24 that uh, he will plunder the strong man. Uh, to describe his victory over Satan, to rescue people from the uh, from slavery to sin, which was achieved at the cross. Uh, 1 Peter 2, we see that those who trust in Jesus will not be put to shame, just as Isaiah 49, 23 says. Uh, Galatians 3 and 4, uh, we see that we, as New Testament believers, are the true children of Jerusalem. Uh, not the the physical Jerusalem, but the heavenly Jerusalem that we read about in Revelation 21. The nations then are bringing forth children for the new Jerusalem. Uh, Acts 1 verse 8 speaks of the kingdom of God overflowing beyond the walls of Jerusalem, beyond the boundaries of ancient Israel to cover the whole earth, to the ends of the earth. The walls of Jerusalem cannot contain all her spiritual children now. Um, And again, we see these promises fulfilled, especially in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 16 talks about the enemies of God's people drinking their own blood. Uh, Revelation 3 talks about the enemies of the faithful licking the dust off their feet. Uh, Revelation 21, again, Jerusalem is like a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, And again, the nations and the kings of the earth will bring into New Jerusalem the honour and the glory of the nations. All of these promises fulfilled in eternity. In the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, and this tells us as well uh, what we, how we should be understanding this passage as well. You know, we're not... Uh, this, when I say that God cares about our day-to-day problems, I'm not saying that he solves everything for us day-to-day. I'm saying that he will rescue us from them and bring us into heaven one day. And so we can take this same comfort as the people of Jerusalem. Though we are oppressed and, and afflicted like the Jews in exile, though we are destroyed like Jerusalem, yet God will raise us up in glory. 
He will raise us up in glory to live forever in the new Jerusalem. He will raise us up in glory to live forever in the kingdom of God, which covers the new heavens and the new earth with the praise of his glory. He will raise us up in glory, uh, victorious over sin, the world, the devil. He will raise us up in glory like a bride adorned for her husband. We will be raised up from affliction to glory. That is his promise for us, for each of us who believe in him. And we can be certain of that because he does not neglect or forget his children. Uh, But then in Isaiah 50, there's almost a a whiplash sort of change. God changes tack to addressing what Israel thought their problem was to addressing the real problem. And the real problem is their sin. The Jews in exile... uh, looked at the exile and its associated afflictions and they thought that ultimately that was what they really needed to be saved from. God replied and said, this is the real problem you need to be saved from, your sin. This is the real reason you are in exile. For your iniquities you were sold, for your transgressions uh, your mother was sent away. Ultimately, a greater redemption would be needed than even the Israelites thought that they needed. Rather than just rebuilding and repopulating Jerusalem, the Jews would need to be redeemed from their sin. And the same is true for us. Failing to recognize that our sin is is our real problem uh, is a continual problem for humanity. Uh, You can see there in verse 2, in the start of verse 2, that the Jews in in Isaiah's day uh, and in the exile failed to acknowledge it. Uh, God says, I came and there was no man. I called, there was no one to answer. Uh, And we can see it continues to be the problem. Uh, Jesus, when he he spoke with the Pharisees, that was uh, what he he, uh, lambasted them for. He said, you you know, do you want to know why the kingdom's come and you're not in it? It's because of this problem. You won't admit that your real need is for your sin to be dealt with. And we still do the same today. Uh, We look at uh, these day-to-day problems, which I said, as I said, God does care about, but we also need to remember what the ultimate thing is. Uh, These things loom large in our minds. But our ultimate need is for our sin to be taken away. Just as God says in Isaiah 50 verse 1, it is our sin that separates us from him. Now the problem of sin is not one that we can fix ourselves. But God can. God can deal with it. God does redeem us from our sin. God will redeem. Uh, Verse 2b. Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a desert. Uh, Now, if you've been with us uh, throughout our series in Isaiah, you'll uh, remember that over and over again, there's been these images of the exodus. 
drying up the sea like the Red Sea, drying up the river like the Jordan as they entered the Promised Land. All these images of Exodus, uh, of God redeeming his people. God uh, rescued then his people from a foreign power. God uh, says he will rescue from Babylon as well. But more importantly, the greater Exodus goes beyond simply rescuing them from a foreign power. It has to do with redemption from sin. Now, this passage doesn't come in isolation. Uh, It comes immediately before Isaiah 50 verses uh, 4 to 9. And in those verses, the servant raises up the weary through his obedience and his knowledge of God's word. Uh, It comes immediately after Isaiah 49 verses 1 to 6. And there the servant is given the role of saving the world, which we saw last week. Ultimately... This whole section of Isaiah is building towards Isaiah 53. And there the servant is shown to be the one who saves God's people from sin through his sacrificial death. He is the one who makes God's people righteous through his righteous life and resurrection. Uh, Now you see there in verse 3, God says, I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. Uh, Once again, this is language which is picked up in Revelation. uh, And that reminds us that none of these promises are fully fulfilled uh, until Jesus returns. We are saved from our sins, but we still still do sin. Uh, We still do Uh, experience affliction and we will do until Jesus returns or until we die ultimately that day that final day is the day when all sin and all those other afflictions that we spoke about before will be put away for good now if that makes you long for that day If that makes you say, you know, why can't we have that now? I want to have that now. Then that is good. That is the right response. You should want that. And you should pray then that God would send, that Jesus would return today. But in the meantime, it should make us acknowledge also that our sins are the ultimate problems from which we need saving. We need to confess those before God. Ask his forgiveness. Ask him to save us from them. Uh, And live as we will then, to the best of our ability. Uh, Knowing that when Jesus returns, that we will be raised up in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do... Uh, acknowledge that we do need saving from sin. Uh, Lord, we see so many things going on in the world uh, and we rightly acknowledge that we need saving from those, but we so often fail to see that the real, the ultimate thing that we need saving from is within us. 
Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, save us from both of these things, that you would save us from the external afflictions that we face and save us from the internal sins. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would raise us up in glory, that Jesus would return uh, and that he would raise us to imperishable, uh, eternal life. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.